The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network. My guest is Poppy Murrican. Glaswegian Poppy went on a gap year to Thailand when she was 17 and then didn't get on a return flight home, instead choosing to set up home in Thailand, where she lived for six years teaching English and working as a diving instructor. A chance meeting with a foreign stranger then led to her moving to Copenhagen to be with him, but things didn't go to plan. We talk about moving to Thailand, the excitement that accompanied it and how that shaped her in her formative years. Poppy tells me about the domestic abuse and coercive control she endured at the hands of her then Danish partner and how she eventually managed to free herself. And you'll hear about the very happy ending that followed and is continuing on to this day. If you're affected by any of the issues in this episode, you'll find links in the episode notes to support groups for both women and men. This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt senior debt advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. I meet a lot of interesting people, um, both famous and kind of unknown, so to speak. I would say out of everybody, and it's been literally hundreds, your life is probably the biggest candidate to be made into a film. (laughs) What? Has anybody ever said that to you? No. Well, maybe like fa- a fa- that faction of your life. Basically, the story you told me, remember? Yeah. Sa- What's the name of that coffee shop? What, the one that we met in? Yeah. Cafeteria? Yeah, right, okay. On Dundas Street. If, if they're listening, I want my flat whites for free from now on. It was it was amazing. <laughs> There's your shout out. Um, but what, just basically when we talked about that whole segment, I thought, mm. Jesus Christ, this sounds like Hollywood. It sounds made up. Is it, has nobody yeah. ever said that to you before? Um, no, I mean, a lot of my friends have had quite wild lives and lots of different things have happened to them, good and bad. So I just, I don't know. You I probably... Quite, I feel like it's quite commonplace. Possibly. But maybe yeah. then that'll t- take us further into the conversation of it's commonplace, but it doesn't seem so because people would maybe, maybe. keep that to themselves. But, I mean, I'd counter that and say, I think you've had quite an interesting life too. Yeah, I mean, you're you're wild. Yeah, it's been okay. <laughs> I think with, I think with yours with that story and saying that that's commonplace, um, but it isn't discussed, then maybe you telling me about that, somebody might listen to that and recognise something. Yeah, no, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I just think it just builds up resilience in you. And, yeah. you know, but when it, obviously when something happens to you, you're in it. It doesn't seem wild or special. It's just something that's happened and you just have to kind of like, I don't want to mm-hmm. over-dramatize it, but survive it. Yeah. <laughs> now, just come out the other end. I can hear the collective screams of, we're going to tell the fucking story, mate. <laughs> so let's, uh... let's tell. I mean, we'll, tell, we'll give people a flavor of, let's, you know, where you're from yeah. and that type of thing. 
Okay, so a little synopsis on, on Poppy. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, so I am born and bred in Glasgow. I grew up in the West End with my family. Um, parents broke up when I was like 11. Um, and at that point in my life, there was a lot of change going on. Mm -hmm. So moved house, moved school, changed all my friends. Mum and dad broke up, dad moved away. And that was just a lot of change in one year. Yeah. Um, and I think that was quite a pivotal moment in my life where I had come from this very protected, very happy, very innocent world. And then, yeah, in an instant, I was kind of like, oh, life is not life is not rosy and life is not perfect. And mm. then you kind of have to start growing up from there. Um, so then my teenage years were a lot about... In school, I went to um, Glasgow Academy, which I absolutely hated. So I'd come from Notre Dame Primary, See, which I loved. Um, I my last guest, yeah. pretty sure went to Glasgow Academy and also hated it. Yeah, I mean, what's the chances? There's a pattern developing high, here. Let me tell you that they're high. Yeah. Well, listen, I don't want to like cast any shade, and this was a long time ago. I'm 33 now, mm. um, and I went there when I was 11, so it really was a long time ago. But I had the worst years ever at that school and it was like a, a combination of what was happening in my home life and school but mm. you know the school certainly didn't help so I am a creative I'm obviously more left side of my brain centered than right mm -hmm. so I'm not an academic and that school just did not cater to people like me so it was all about academia sports getting high grades and it didn't really encourage you if you were more arty or you know a hands-on person and yeah, I just I just really didn't enjoy it. It's a shame because often if somebody's got an unstable, a kid's got an unstable home life, then school can be the escape. And if yeah. school's terrible, then home is the escape. And for you not to have that in either place for that period. Yeah, it's a good point. I never thought about that. Um, yeah, I dreaded going to both places. So I remember like walking home and absolutely dreading mm. the moment I would have to open that door. And then, yeah, also dreading going to school. That's a shame. Yeah, well, you know, it happens to a lot of people. So it's yeah. not it's not something unusual. So, um, but yeah, that's that's the school life. So I ended up as a result of that kind of rebelling in high school. And yeah, I had like everyone does, I'm I Sean, I don't know if you had one of these, but I had a goth phase. Did I you? became a goth. No, yeah. I mean I did have, but... I did a few, but never a never a goth. That's G O double F. Yeah. <laughs> well listen, I, I was so like young and naive that I thought I was a goth but I was probably a, a weird mixture between goth and mosher and I used to like wear Blink-182 hoodies but I had no idea who Blink-182 was <laughs> like it was just a black hoodie I couldn't have told you one of their songs yeah. I was told one of these so I did that kind of rebellion phase didn't do great in school and then at the age of 16 I left school got a job worked for a year and then I went on a gap year to a gap year, darling. I was about to say gap year. How, how very private school yeah, are you? Yeah, I know. I'm a banker. <laughs> I went on a gap year, darling. So Thailand for a year. And it was the best year of my life. I had such a, a laugh. Um, I was teaching English for the first part of it. What, what age were you when you did that? 17. Oh, 17. Right, yeah. so right off the bat then. Yeah, yeah. So I left school at 16, worked for a year, saved up money, did fundraising to, to get the money to go on this year abroad. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I was 17, so I was really wow. young. And when we were sent over, we went with this awful charity called Project Trust. I think they're still around and they're, um, yeah, 
It was such a shambles. So we fundraised all this money. And then when we got there, they didn't like give us any of the money. I was put like in the very, very, very north of Thailand on the border with Burma. There was like a lot of political unrest in Burma. There was people being shot up the road. We had people breaking like like students breaking into our house and stealing weird stuff like like me and my friend Pam, we, we lived in this house and they were stealing our underwear and like dodgy, dodgy things. We used to sleep with like butcher cleavers under our pillows because we were so terrified. Bloody hell. Yeah, it was mental. And then we were also sent out there with no TEFL. So we were just like dropped in a classroom, not even assistants, like a class of like 30 kids, age range from like four up to 16, all different levels of, of English. And we that were just like, with no resources. <laughs> they were just like, teach them. See, so that's when I when I went to Barcelona. It was kind of similar. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a company that sent sent you over um, to begin with. But we were conversation assistants, mm-hmm. so we didn't need the TEFL thing, thankfully, because yeah, okay. people used to say, "Oh, yeah, take you've done TEFL." And yeah. I, I, for a while, I was like, "What is this nah. thing you're talking about? <laughs> what um, what even is TEFL?" Um, but I don't know. Did you ever have this? Maybe different, but I always had kids going. I have a question. This is um, present continuous, and I'm like, what? What is oh, the past no. participle? And I'm like, what are these fucking <laughs> words you just keep saying to me? Listen, I don't even know that. So I, no, I, I, exactly, I have no clue. <laughs> I used to just go, I, whatever they said. If I would just agree with them, I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's kind of right. asked me in a positive <laughs> way. Like, yeah, this is the thing. Me, is the present continuous? And I'm like, I don't know that. Yeah, I, yeah, 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 absolutely. It. Listen, say it with confidence, and it's right. Yeah. So how how long <laughs> did you ma- did did you manage to stay doing the teaching? We probably did the teaching for oh maybe eight nine months. Right, okay. but it was really and really bad. Like did the kids learn from you? Uh, yeah, they did, but they were they were quite like. I mean, it was it was wild. I was seventeen. Some of the kids in my class were older than me. Some of them were eighteen. So I, I kind of immediately was like undermined in terms of in terms of authority. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was also quite a, a shy. 17 year old and I you know I literally I was green at the gills I'd just come out of school yeah. like I had I had no confidence That's... I didn't know who I was I was just standing up in front of this class of 30 wild I children I think even the fucking prefectest wee arsehole that came for school would still struggle in <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah, sort of scenario yeah I mean I remember like my mum came out to visit me for like two weeks on holiday and she is a school teacher and has mm. a primary school teacher and has been for you know so long like 30 years and she was like this is this is really hard I can't do this it's <laughs> like imagine what it's like for me <laughs> yeah. so yeah I did it for like eight nine months and then we traveled down to the islands as you do mm. in Thailand um I think we did like yeah a new year there or something and of course I'm so embarrassed to say this but like yeah we both kind of like fell in love with Thai boys and like got Thai boyfriends and then the day that I was supposed to get my flight back to Scotland home I'd maybe just turned 18. I phoned my mum and I was like, I'm not getting on the plane. I'm staying because I've met a Thai boy. What did she say? <laughs> she was like, over my dead body, get yourself on a bloody plane. Uh, and I was just like, no, and I didn't. And I, I hung up and I stayed there and I ended up staying in Thailand for another five years. That so I was there nuts. six years in total. And I ended up getting a wee house. I had a dog. I stayed with that boyfriend the whole time. I had a job. I was a scuba dive instructor. Whilst I was out there, I kind of did all the levels. I'd already had my open water from Scotland. Mm. And then I just worked my way up and did like a few more courses. And yeah, it was great. Best years. Oh God. Now Mm. the interrogation starts. Just all these like ding, ding, ding questions popping in my head. (laughs) When you said to your mum, I'm going to Thailand, what was her response then? Like, yeah, that'll be great. So she was delighted because I was really, really, really shy because Mm. of my kind of unhappy experience in school and just 
yeah, not really ever fitting into a certain clique. And then mm. also the, all the home stuff, I was really, really shy. So I, if the telephone rang in our house, I couldn't answer it because I was too shy to even say hello. Um, so I was like, cr- like cripplingly shy. Um, and yeah, she was just delighted that I was going away and she, she knew that it would be the making of me, which mm. it was. But I, didn't th- I think like I kind of went to the opposite end of the spectrum and I just went wild. <laughs> yeah. And she couldn't rein me back in. I've just got to stay in Southeast Asia. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picturing that like at 18. I mean, it's young. It's, it's really, really young. It's, oh my God. I mean, I left school when I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> like such a... Yeah, an idiot. I, I, when I look back now, I'm like, I don't know how I survived all and that time. What What was it that kind of prompted it? Was it the... We, I don't know if I'm trying to think if you you'd have even been conscientious enough at that age because I was going to ask, was mm-hmm. it going thinking, well, you know, everyone does a gap year, or was it you thinking, I need to go somewhere or I no. want to have a different environment? No, it wasn't that at all. It was, again, me very much being... Um, at that time, I I wasn't strong enough to make my own decisions. I wasn't brave enough. But a fr- my best friend, one of my other best friends, a girl called Sophie, she was doing a gap year with this charity, Project Trust, mm. and she was being sent to India. And all my life, I've just followed Sophie. So I went to, to Glasgow Academy because she was at Glasgow Academy <sighs> from after leaving uh, Notre Dame, where, where I had all my friends at Notre Dame. Sophie was just like my best friend. And, and I was like, if she's going, if she's at Glasgow Academy, I'll go there too. So it was just me following Sophie. But we ended up being sent to different countries. I was originally supposed to go to Sri Lanka, but then there was a kind of war broke out there and then my country changed and then I was going to Thailand. And then Sophie and I, we just, we did our, our own years and I that's when I just came into my own. Mm-hmm. So it, was, it, it wasn't, a decision me saying oh I need to get away it was just me again following in someone's someone else's shadow it's quite fascinating that though isn't it when you put somebody into an environment that they can develop in a certain way but it just takes an environment to sort of cultivate yeah. what is already there 100%. to bring it out and that's what I'd been looking for and like I was mm. so thirsty for that during like my school years I just wanted to be in an environment where I would flourish and it just it just wasn't it was so stale for me so it had been like suppressed and then when I went to yeah. Thailand it just went poof <laughs> what was it? I mean, God, even when you're on the plane, the plane say the plane's about to take off, you're like, oh, shit, 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 what no, have I done? No, so I had a boyfriend in Glasgow at the time and I swear to God, like, I did not want to leave. I remember the night before I was in floods of tears and they, like, my mum and, like, my boyfriend at the time literally had to like pry my fingers off the door frame and like shove me through like the customs in the airport because I, I did not want to go I was absolutely petrified but literally then I got on the plane and I was we were being sent out with like 18 other volunteers and when mm. we got to Thailand all the volunteers were split up in different places but that plane journey was with those 18 volunteers and already on the plane I was going wild I, it was like yeah something inside of me just woke up and I was just That's like so funny. chatting making friends laughing and I like quickly became recognised as like one of the funny ones. Mm-hmm. Like just, yeah. So do you never f- been feel like the shackles were off a wee bit? Oh, like... 100%. Yeah, it was like I'd had like, yeah, exactly. As you say, like shackles around my neck for so long and then they just broke off. And Nobody on that plane, <laughs> I was just flying, literally flying. <laughs> Soaring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And it was, yeah, as you say, no one knows you. It's a fresh start, a fresh start, a clean slate. And that's where, that's when I learned who I was for the very first time. I did not know who I was before that. Did um, did do you ever look back and at we sliding doors moments and think? So I do this right. I think. Imagine I never sent that one email because yeah. my I feel as if my whole life kicked kicked off or started 
when I sent an email saying I want to come and work for this company yeah. in Barcelona and for them for them to reply and be like I good you admit it starts in five weeks come back next year yeah and if I always think if I hadn't sent that follow-up email and I, it, it honestly makes my blood run cold because I'm like what <laughs> would I what would have happened like do you ever look back and think imagine I didn't get on that plane um Honestly, not really. The only one time in my life where I think, oh my God, that is absolutely terrifying is um, like how I met my husband. Mm -hmm. So um, we met on on Tinder and I had like not had Tinder for for so long, for months and months and months because I was sick of it. And I was just really bored one night, like trying to get to sleep. I couldn't sleep and I was bored and I was like, I'll re-download the Tinder app. Re-download it and it just went ping. And it was a message from from this guy Christopher, and I I I think actually I I didn't write back for like a week or something. Make them swear. Uh, well, no, because I just I I'd only really downloaded it for something to flick through on my phone. I didn't actually want to date. I'd had so many bad dating experiences, and I was like, I'm not interested. So I, I did. Sorry to interrupt, right? Yeah, but I just wanted to it. get your thoughts on this. But I did an episode with my pal Roisin McGinley. Yeah. It called Tinder Tales. Yeah. And it, I got oh, people, I, I listened to it. Yeah, I got people to send in this stuff and that. By the way, the <laughs> fucking craziest ones couldn't make the cut. Oh, like some, Really? Oh, yeah, you I'm need gonna, to tell me after this. Yeah, I'm going to do a second one, actually. <laughs> um, but when we talked about it, and I think we maybe touched upon the fact that it's people looking just for a wee, just a wee ego boost. Just to kind a, of, it totally is an ego massage. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I'll be able to get to sleep if I forget, like, a like or something. And I know that <laughs> I still got it. So I went on and that's exactly what I got. And then I was, like, asleep. And then I didn't I didn't write back to him for a week. And then I think a week later, genuinely, I was bored again. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, I'll just write him back. And then I wrote him back. We started chatting. I think we chatted for, like, a good couple of weeks before we actually met up. And then we went on our first date which was hilarious. Um, I think I might have told you this story. We, it was in Spiritualist and there was like banquet seating on one side and then like chairs on the other side. Yeah. And the kind of maitre d' led me in and he was maybe like four tables down this kind of like corridor. And rather than just walk down like the floor along the four tables, I decided to crawl into the banquet seating and crawl on all fours on my hands and knees along to him the whole distance. And he was just sitting there going... <laughs> and this crazy mental girl was, like, crawling towards him. Uh, and then we just got really drunk on tequila and we've been together. That was six years ago when we got oh, married last lovely. year. So I just think, oh, my God, had I not got in Tinder that night? Yeah. I mean, that, that scares me. But, but other than that, other decisions in life, no. I'm pr I'm probably not somebody that people would assume would be the sort of misty-eyed romantic, but I would say you were probably meant to be and you would have crossed paths at some point anyway. Yeah, I do think so. You would have bumped so. into well, each other. Well, there's a funny thing. So, like, the two people in, my, like, my longest relationships I've had, one was the Thai guy and then now Christopher, and both their birthdays are on the 9th of September. And I just think that's really weird. And I'm a Virgo, I'm 13th of both September. Both of their birthdays the same birthday? Yeah, same birthday. Wow. And they were, like, the two, my two longest and kind of most profound relationships in my life. And I'm just like, there's something in that and I'm not really a kind of numbers or superstitious gal like I'm yeah. not I don't look into star charts or anything but I do just think that's weird yeah that's quite weird see every time you see the Thai guy I just imagine a wee salesman at a Thai rack in Central Station <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I'm pitching <laughs> the Thai boyfriend was um, it was so classic he was a fire dancer so he was one of these like he was like a very slutty like resort beach boy and shagged all the tourists <laughs> and he was covered in tattoos and he, he was like always did the fire dancing so they're, they're always when you do fire dancing it sprays petroleum on your body right. which is kind of like a slick of oil so like and his his little skinny like 
muscles would all be lit up with the fire and they all glowing with his petroleum and all the girls would sit on the beach and just salivate over him. <laughs> Sounds fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, and all the they tourists, they the go oath. and they, uh, that, that's what you do when you go to Thailand. You get, you're a, a wee blonde girl and you go and get a wee Thai boyfriend and he's a fire dancer. <laughs> yeah. Cliche. Yeah. What, what, was it a, a massive culture shock when you went? I know that is like the most obvious question, but was, no. were you kind of taken aback by it? No, not at all. I'll tell you when I got culture shock. And this is a segue into I know what you want to ask me. I, when I went to Thailand, I absolutely loved it because the people are so warm and so friendly. And it's it's to me, it was very similar to Glasgow yeah. in that sense. Um, and how loving and welcoming so and that, accepting that, the people that's are. Not a, that's not like a cliche or anything. They are. No, they are the kindest, nicest people. And to this day, it's my oh, favourite country on planet Earth. Nice, I absolutely love it. love it. I mean, and it is wild. And we did go to Bangkok and it was kind of baptism by fire. But I just took to it like a duck to water. <clears throat> When I got culture shock, it's when I then moved from six years of Thailand and I moved to Copenhagen. That's mm. when I got culture shock because it was so stark and so cold feeling yeah. like in the terms of the people. And then also I'd come from this very hippie, non-materialistic lifestyle. I didn't, honestly, I don't think I wore a pair of shoes for, for the six years I lived in Thailand. And then it. like high fashion Copenhagen where everything's so expensive. And I kind of rebelled and... Anyone that spent money on like cars or nice makeup or anything, I kind of judged them and I, I got mm. quite kind of snippy with them. To look back, and that was wrong on my part, but it was just because I couldn't fathom, like I'd seen these people just living such basic lives and being yeah. so happy. And then going to this world where it's all just so materialistic, I just uh, really find it difficult to process. Is Thailand a Buddhist country? Is that their predominant religion? Yeah, predominantly. There's also like um, a lot of like um, Catholicism and then there's... Uh, like Muslim, um, I think you can get three, a Thai Muslim. Three main ones. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I thought, well, should be question. You can get you can get a Muslim <laughs> yeah, anywhere, yeah, but I just meant like a large concentration yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, there are. Thai lots. Muslims. I should have pluralised that. Yeah. Um, so that I mean, do you feel that did that give you like a, a really solid grounding and your sort of feel for the world? It might have went to a bit of an extremity, but now even all this time later, are you not a materialistic person as such? Um, no, I'd say, it, listen, it, it does fade. Like, mm. I, I would definitely cling on to that as much as possible. But, but always from a young age, I have been brought up, like, very outdoorsy. Mm. So, as I was just telling you before, we I've got, like, a wee, cut, like, Scottish cabin up north that my family go to, and I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. And, yeah, so I think that that kind of lends to grounding you. And so, and also, I absolutely loathe um, social media, WhatsApp, it gives Do me you? so much anxiety. Oh, God, I yeah. hate it. I'm happier when I patch it for a while. Yeah. So that weekend, it's just gone. I just didn't have my phone on me at all. And I, I just and I was in a, I was at that cabin. I was outdoors the whole That's time. Nice. And I was just so happy. So I think I do not live my life through a screen. I don't live on mm. social media. But don't get me wrong. I like clothes. I like makeup. Yeah, I think I'm just balance, quite balanced. Balance is good. Yeah. I suppose if you're completely immersed in that, then you do just start to... Your baseline becomes an extremity, whereas yeah. you you're, you don't realise that because you're you're just completely, I don't know, it's permeating all your sense, uh, all your yeah. Sort of... I also think that some people need stuff like that to make to like to like define them or or make them feel more yeah. whole. And I'm just not like that at all. Like as I said, don't get me wrong, I do love the stuff. Like yeah. I, I love nice things, and yeah, of course everyone does. <clears> but I don't need it. I could very much like just click tomorrow and live a life without it I'm the same as you I've kind of I've got to a point actually where I've kind of realised though that I can now recognise it if I see if I don't feel right or you know I'm having a wee shaky spell sort of mentally or whatever yeah my 
um, sort of instinctive go-to is buy stuff. Yeah. Buy, buy clothes, buy trainers. And, all that. and I'm, re- I'm like, fucking stop that because it's so fleeting. Yeah, it and, is. And at the same time, I love Addiction. buying stuff. And I always say to people as well, I'm like, yeah, buy, like, buy stuff. Like, you're not going to live forever. Yeah. Like, enjoy it. That, yeah, wee, yeah. that wee moment of happiness is worth it. Yeah, but you're when, right. But when you lean on it too much, mm-hmm. which I can sometimes do, and what I've then started doing is kind of trying to go like cold turkey. Yeah. And don't, I'm like, don't, just don't don't buy anything. Yeah. Cause, but cause... then as you do that, you'll find that you, you need to buy stuff less because you're weaning yourself off yeah, the addiction. Completely. Yeah. Aye. And it's um, yeah, that wee buzz of, oh, there's my delivery coming. Mm-hmm. I'll get into town. You're like, oh. Oh, it, I'm so familiar with that feeling. It, I know exactly what yeah, you're talking it, about. Yeah, it fades. Um, yeah, so to go from one extreme to another then, <laughs> and then you, you've, you've helped guide me into this yeah, perfectly. Segue. <laughs> so how the hell do you end up going to Denmark after being in Thailand? Uh, right, okay. So um, so I'd been with this Thai boyfriend for like six years and like our relationship had become uh, probably more of a friendship in a way. Yeah. We were like, almost like codependent on each other. We were so, we were so, so close. Um, but yeah, there's just obviously your eye doesn't wander if if everything's not if everything's right. Yeah. And so I just remember one day, like, we lived in a resort um, and one day, like, a, a tall, blonde guy walked in and he was just so different to my Thai boyfriend who was this, like, little, just gorgeous, cute, like, yeah, Thai guy, but quite short. Noon was, like, five foot nine or something. This guy was, like, tall. And he was just different, you know? Who the fuck are you talking to? Five foot nine, short, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Sorry. I'm five ten. Yeah. <laughs> that everyone says that. everyone's five foot nine says oh, yeah. five ten. Uh, five nine and a half. <laughs> and I've got trainers on. By the way, see, you wear Cuban heels. I, I mean, I should do. <laughs> I love it. Nothing against it. No, I pure out myself there as if I'm tiny. I'm not. Anyway, let's go. Okay. So anyway, this what I mean is someone that looked very different, and your, your eye always like yeah, you know what I mean. You just yeah. look for a change. So he walked in, and also I think subconsciously I was probably looking for an excuse to come back to Europe or closer to home because mm. I was really getting homesick by this point, <clears throat> and I'm so close to my family. And I think, yeah, there was something subconsciously, like deep down inside that was like almost looking for an out. Yeah. And I know to this day that nothing would have pulled me away from Noom. That's the name of my Thai boyfriend. It had to be something so strong like love because I loved Noom still so much and still mm-hmm. even today talking about it, like makes me sad that yeah. we kind of parted in the way that we did. But this guy walked in and we chatted um, just at a bar, like in the resort for a whole night. Um, but that was it, like literally just chatting. We didn't even like touch knees sitting next to each other, nothing. What did you talk about? Um, everything. And like there was a, such a spark, there was such a chemistry, yeah. like favourite book, our favourite, we had the same favourite film, we had the same, um, like we lo- we were obsessed with documentaries. He was a documentary maker, like just, mm. just there was a lot of things in common and there was definitely like palpable chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you when you meet someone and it's like you actually can feel electricity and there's yeah. a lot of, like, sexual tension. It was weird. Um, so that happened. And then when he left, he was flying home the next morning, but he left a book in the reception of the resort. And inside the book, there was a, a letter to me and the, the staff kind of said, oh, this guy's left this book for you. I opened the book. There was, like, a letter inside and it said, essentially, um, I know this is mad. We've literally only chatted for like six hours and never even touched each other but I've fallen in love with you and will you move to Copenhagen to be with me? (laughs) 
Ding, 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 ding. ding. That's the sound of fucking alarm bells it's, going yeah, off. Yeah, red flag. Love bombing, love bombing commence. Yeah. It was, yeah. So anyway, I was like, yes, this is great. Swept off my feet, wrapped up my life in Thailand, um, booked a one-way ticket to Copenhagen, left my job, left my house, left my dog, left okay, my boyfriend, no. everything, all my friends there, everything from the last six years. And yeah, I arrived in Copenhagen after a month of not having seen the Danish guy, Casper. Even saying his name gives me the creeps. Um, it's an indication of where this is going, wasn't uh, um, So yeah, and I was like, it, this was in the days of Skype. Like this was, uh, you know, yeah. a long time ago. I remember so those there days. was no social media or anything like that. It was just Skype, and we'd Skype, and it was like crappy uh, Thai internet signal, and he'd be flickering in and out. And I was like, I'm going to arrive at this airport in Copenhagen, and either not recognise him, or he's not going to recognise me, or we don't fancy each other all of a sudden, or it's going to be like one of these you've been framed like candid camera moments, and everyone's going to be like, yeah. Idiot! Like, of course, this was too good to be true. Like, duh. Um, so anyway, I arrived and I was like shaking, like like quaking like a leaf. Yeah. Saw him immediately. He came up, kissed me. That was the first time we touched each other ever. And he said, "Do you want to move in? Like, come, I'll take you home." And I moved straight into his flat, and so we lived there for the next two years, which was kinda, the beginning of a living hell. <laughs> you're kinda a time mail order bride. Yeah. Exactly, except I'm a Scottish mail order bride from Thailand. Yes. <laughs> what, a, what a long way out. What a long way for a shortcut. Yeah, I know. Um, what did you say to, to Noom? Um, I actually, this is like one of the biggest regrets. I didn't actually tell him that I. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, don't even, don't do that, Sean, because I'll cry. I I told him I was leaving, but I didn't tell him that I'd met someone else. Right. Okay. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I, 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 it was obviously, it was cowardice on my part, but I just couldn't hurt I, him. I don't I think, couldn't do it. I don't think it is cowardice. Mm, it was. I think, because you could argue. And this is me trying to find positives in this, but you could argue mm. that if you had I told him that, you've kind of been a wee bit cruel to be kind in the sense of you thought, why, why tell him? Because uh, where you where you going to marry and, and remain in Thailand and the wee beach hut forever? Probably not. No, like I'd kind of dreamt about it. I had wanted that, but then I was like, I, I, I don't, I don't know how I would bring children up in Thailand. I can't be. I just can't be away from my family. Five year old fire breather and stuff. <laughs> Um, Legit. So maybe you've probably done him a favour because. Well, I, he's now he's met someone else and he's very happy and he's got babies and stuff, so he, he's 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 fine and he's happy and I see that from afar and that gives me comfort to know that he's happy. But like, yeah, I just feel like that was a, a, a moment oh, of great dishonesty on my part. God. And and it, but you know our relationship hadn't been perfect. There ha there had been things, bad things that he'd done to me and and. Yeah, and mm. I did tell him that I was going and not coming back. He knew that. He knew that I was going forever. Did take it well. I don't think he um, understood. I don't think that he, uh, he was able to digest it. He Google, was just Google like, Translate, not really doing what no, mill that day. <laughs> not in that sense. <laughs> he was hilarious because he spoke fluent English, but he'd learnt it from like a lot of like English tourists. Yeah, brilliant. So he spoke like Cockney. That he was is, like, oh, love. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. That is he amazing. Was I think I've told this story before, but there was the, the kids that I taught but had that Scottish act, like for the words that they learned from me. Yeah, you did like, tell me that, and then when they say it back, you're like, do I, 
Do I yeah, sound yeah. like that? So, so you get, the, the one that sticks in my head the most was the wee kid coming up and saying, Sean, yo tengo una pregunta, ¿cómo se dice en inglés en viaje? Porque yo tengo que mostrar un espectáculo a mi clase. And I was like, oh, eh, trip. <laughs> oh, gracias. So then this wee kid stands up and he's like, when I was seven, I went to London with my family for a trip. <laughs> and I remember the teacher like, looked at me and be like, you need to start t- t- telling them things with an English accent. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't, so, like, that's so embarrassing, I'm fucking ready. I can't like, do it. Give, give myself the ick. But I remember also teaching one of the teachers being like, um, why why don't you, like, teach them some Scots words? And I think he, in oh, his God. head, I'd teach him, like, okay, I don't know, but yeah. I was teaching him, like, Bob Agdafty, yeah. Rocket. <laughs> All the bad ones. I, and I remember oh, no. walking, walk, I can't remember exactly where I was, Avenida, um, no, Avenida de Gaudi in Barcelona, near Hospital de San Paolo, if anybody knows it. And I just heard, All right, Bob, what's happening? Oh. And like, my, but I had left the school two and a bit years before that. So like, my head has nearly swiveled because I knew it was directed at me. Yeah. But I was like, That's a fucking cat, that's a Spanish person, a Catalan person. <laughs> Heads nearly come off my shoulders and I recognised this wee kid straight oh, away. Oh, that's so cute that you remembered that. We, yes and no, because I really probably should have taught him that because that wee guy's going to like, imagine oh, he, that's bad. he'll come to Edinburgh for his holidays and he'll say to something. Like, you can't. <laughs> end up getting volleyed up and down the Royal Mail. <laughs> and all it'll be ringing in his ears is me telling him, no, no, that's a friendly that's, green. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> You've done him a favourite. If he came and said that in Scotland, everyone would be like, oh, I love it. They'd be, yeah. be right in there. As it, it depends who <laughs> encounters and what mood the uh, the recipient is in. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> other question. I, the thing I was going to say as well, mm-hmm. wait, NUM, is it N? Yeah, N-U-M. N-U-M, so be NUM, I mean... It's a two-way street in it, so mm-hmm. if, if it's not been working for you, it's not been working for him either. No, so. exactly. And Sad he was definitely displaying, you know, bad behaviour. So yeah, it, I, it was time. I don't, I don't want to. This is probably the most painful one, but you know, oh. gutted leaving the dog. No. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hate me. I can't say this. Did you kick the dog on the way out the door? No, one I didn't. Last bit? But listen, he was obsessed with this dog. Obsessed. And I got jealous because he was so fucking obsessed with his dog. <laughs> and like, I'm not really the biggest animal person. The dog right. was cute when it was a puppy, but it was also like, although it was our dog, it, you know, dogs in Thailand, they just like roam around the streets. It was kind of like also, a, it was like a beach dog. So it was like, right. it belonged to everyone on the beach, but it kind of slept in our room. But <laughs> Mila, yeah, she just, I, I don't know. I, I'm just not, an, I'm not yeah. like a massive animal lover. So mm. no, no, I've never thought about Mila. What, what, did you, what did your pal say when you, were, you said you were going? I had to go cold turkey. Honestly, it was like a divorce. I had to divorce all the friends. Like I, I, oh. I, I, It was so traumatic to me. It was so emotionally traumatic that being with Noom and those six years in Thailand formed me as a person. Yeah. They were my formative years. It was such a huge, important part of my life. And I was running away from a lot of stuff that had happened at home. Like Although I didn't realise at the time, which is what we spoke about earlier, <coughs> with hindsight, I'm like, I think subconsciously... I probably was, um, but I, yeah, I, I I couldn't deal with the emotional trauma of it, so I I didn't tell a lot of people, and I just upped and left. Mm. And actually, it's quite weird that I'm kind of saying this now, and I've never thought about this before, but that's exactly what I did in Denmark too, but out of necessity that time. Yeah, um, that was more for like my physical and my physical protection but yeah. leaving Thailand that way was for my mental protection logistically how do you even get that sorted because now right if, if you or I want to go anywhere you just jump your phone and through your safari just go on Skyscanner and you can be anywhere in the world but 
back then? I mean, did you have the money? To... I'd saved money. I mean, the, the, what you earn as a scuba dive instructor in Thailand is nothing. It's a hand to mouth. I mean, but I had lots of savings from like, like when I'd been at home, mm -hmm. I'd worked and I had loads and loads of savings. So I was able to buy a, a flight. I think flights back then were... Like, I think a return flight was like 500. It was so cheap. What? I know. That's unbelievable. So I think one way was maybe like three. So I, I had enough money. No way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've paid more than that. I'm going to Ibiza next week. And I know, I'm because so it's the opening weekend, my flight <sighs> out was more than that. Oh, God. And it's a fucking Ryanair. That's, that's mental. I know. That's it's because it's my pals. I, I've I've remonstrated with him. I've told him exactly what I think of. Serious, my mate Stag do, but he's worth it. I love him. Okay. Um, but he was obviously a good friend. Yes, that's but a whole lot of money. And uh, <laughs> I and because I kept, I was the idiot who was like, yeah, yeah, I'll book it. Yeah, I'll book it. And to be fair, actually, I had to be, I had to be hundred percent certain that I was getting on that flight. Yeah. Because I didn't have my filming dates for doing the breakfast oh, show yeah, and I yeah. might have had to fly for London. Oh, God. And I was kind of like holding off and then yeah. by the time I got to it, I was like, I honestly wanted to spew. Oh, and, and then I had the pleasure of getting to pay for my case as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, should oh, you not just be giving me this? Burn. Like This costing me an absolute fortune. But um, yeah, Also, I'm dreading <clears> to think what that plane will be like. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's going to be so messy. I'm not getting I'm it back. I'm for you. I'm flying to Barcelona when we finish right, up. Right. Because I'm yeah. like, nah, no, you can't nah. Do that. I, I did it twice. I've done that, did that journey twice last year. I think year, the one actually. on the way out is worse than the one on the way back. So on the way back, everyone's dead. On well, the way out, everyone's like well, wild. I, for the staff, it's terrible on the way out. And on the way back, it's the most serene flight ever because everybody's just sitting in pure traumatised silence. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially oh, me. If why anybody, am I jealous? Uh, I'm so jealous. You shouldn't <laughs> be. You can have the best time. It'll be good. It'll be good for the first like three days, and then you'll be like, "Oh my god, get me off this, get, get me, me out of this place." Yeah. Um, so you hi to Wayne for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, that's where we're going on the Saturday, actually. Oh, yeah. I love that place. It's good, isn't honestly. It? I don't know what Saturday. Um, Saturday twentieth. So it's all, it's all opening parties. Um, so it'll be but a big... what is it like? Because I know that Tuesday's history. We're oh, talking right. about for for all the listeners out there. Yeah, okay. talking about Ocean Beach, obviously, and Wayne Lineker is my second husband. So just putting that out there. Did you meet him <laughs> on a beach in Thailand? I met Wayne on my Hindu. Did you actually? Yeah, last year. And I got a picture with him. What what date were you there last year? Uh, it would have been early May. I, I was there at the end of May. Oh, yeah. Well, I was there like 27th of May or something. Then I went yeah, back. Yeah, ours was like 1st of went May. Went back in July. Um, Saturdays at Ocean Beach are Soul Heaven. That's the one that oh. we, are, we are going to. So having returns. They're all good though. The production is just collaboration. Okay. Uh, do you know what is actually fucking insane, isn't it? Yeah, the production is incredible. It's like going to a Cirque du Soleil <clears throat> show or like it's like it's yeah. like a circus. Listen, that's not really who I am. It's not my style, Ocean Beach, but I literally had the best day of my life. Aye, so anyone that's like, it's, it's not cool, no, just go because aye, trust me, you'll have remember, the best like, time. Being in the pool and then they bring out the big stage which goes in the pool. They've yeah. got trapeze artists. The floats that are all above you. Yeah, there was somebody in a pole just flying back and forth <laughs> yeah. and there's like people with confetti guns and I remember just it, going, this is amazing. It's nuts. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, aye, it's absolutely class. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Mm. And then I, I'm not sure. I think I don't know if we're going to Glitterbox or something on this Sunday, but um, I it'll be it'll oh, be magic. I can't wait. Best time. So I will I'll tell your second husband you're asking for. Yeah, please do. A, if I say, do you know who else? Send I remember him being at the bar and then being like, "That's fucking 
that's Dean Gaffney, like Robbie Jackson out of EastEnders. What? Sure. what? Surely you remember EastEnders. I mean, yes, I remember EastEnders, but I don't know them like no, by name. Show Dean me. Ga- no, but Dean Gaffney was like sort of tabloid fodder. Oh, oh God, yes! Yeah, he had his dog yes. well up. Yes, yes, yes. You saw him at Ocean Beach. Well, apparently he's, he's there like... He's, you recognise him, very niche. He's there all the time. I and it's like I think he's just seem, that seems to be like his type of um, in fact oh, uh, I, I want to meet Chloe this isn't great for the listener but uh, there we go look if I just type in <laughs> Dean Gaffney Ocean Definitely. Beach <laughs> and you can see here he's got a lassie with a bikini sitting on his oh, knee and you're like Lord. Um, Dean with his 23 year old girlfriend so, he had it in him yeah I know so I th- yeah <laughs> I just like I thought that was dead funny but I was like no fucking way there's that guy he's so impressed you recognise him I would not I've got, a, I've got a great eye for like pure abstract sort of micro celebrities I don't oh, know really? why oh really I'm terrible with celebrities it's all my years of reading my mum's Closer magazine like when I was younger oh. Heat magazine and stuff oh quite good yeah You've put the work in yeah I, 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 I just remember like look people for Emmerdale and like something that was on Dancing on Ice like 14 years ago that's so it's you and your bloody <clears throat> photographic memory I know and I was actually oh. talking uh, talk about this yesterday I was retelling somebody a story and they were like, how, the fuck, how do you remember all that? And I was like, just, oh, just see it as a film story. in my head when I'm, when I'm talking about yeah. it. Yeah, you're very lucky. That's a sign of being very smart. Don't let that go to your head. Oh, yeah, just, don't worry. Just blank that. I'm, uh, I'm also very thick, so... <laughs> Nonna said in Glasgow has replicated its entire menu in vegan form. So no matter what your dietary requirements, there's only one place to be for phenomenal Italian food with a distinctly Scottish twist. Nonna said they've put in serious research into sourcing the best produce for their vegan menu. So for amazing food, vegan or otherwise, that doesn't break the bank, get yourself along to Nonna said. We've left Thailand. That sort of beach okay. dream has passed. Mm-hmm. You've arrived at Copenhagen. Yep. Copenhagen. Right, airport, kiss, moved in with him. First, like, few months, great honeymoon period. It was all fab. I was getting used to, like, this new country. And, uh, yeah, he'd taken a couple of months off work just to kind of, like, help me settle in and just do fun things. It was summer over there, so it was quite nice weather. That was all fine. Nice city to be in now, isn't it? I mean... <clears throat> Oh, sorry for any any Copenhagen well, natives listening. I know, sorry. Well, it's only because of my experience. Yeah, I, it, it, it was so terrible, and I just don't think I could ever go back there. I just don't know. For me, it's just yeah, scarred me. But I guess like there, you know, there was like it started off with small things. He he was quite kind of possessive. Well, there was the love bombing. So this is like classic sign of a, a kind of controlling relationship. You get loved bombed at the beginning. So you they make you feel like like you're the best person on planet Earth, like so loved and so desired and mm-hmm. you fall into that. It's like a honey trap and you yeah. fall in and then you're in deep. And then just little, little warning things like um, I, you know, he would tell me that I couldn't get my own bank account because I couldn't open a bank account over there so all of my money had to go into his bank account and then I got like a job eventually at a bar um, after like a lot of protest and he would come pick me up at the end of every single shift no matter if it was four o'clock in the morning six o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the afternoon he would be standing there outside to pick me up and take me home so that I couldn't like my colleagues were always like pops come on a night out with us like you know 
we, we've just met you. Let's let's go out clubbing. Yeah. And nope, he was standing there like ready to take me home, making me feel guilty. He would accuse me of if I made like any kind of friendship, he would accuse me of falling in love with that person or 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 booking into a hotel and going and shagging that person. I remember I went like on a coffee date with a girlfriend once, the first friend I ever met in Copenhagen and one of the only ones I, I made in Copenhagen and I went for a coffee with her and when I came back, he was like, you've been shagging her in a hotel, haven't you? And I was like, what? And then like giving me money, so I've had to go to the shop to buy like a cucumber. He would be like, right, there's 47 pence or 47 um, kroner, kroner, whatever it was. Um, and then when I came back, I have to show the receipt and like the change or if he could give me the exact money, he would. It was just, it was just... Yeah. And before I knew it, I was in deep. And then, like, he also told me to cut all my hair off. So I had, like, a, a short bob, which I've never had in my life. Mm. I was wearing all these, like, really baggy, dowdy clothes. And I just didn't... It was just all so insidious. It happened yeah. very slowly, and I didn't realise it. And that... I kind of lost myself again mm. in that time. It was bad. Did you, At what point did you start to think, oh, this isn't right? I just had like a like I was just very unhappy and I was quite emotional. I cried a lot. Um, he would like made it very difficult for me to come back to my like so, to Scotland to see my family. So I'd been in 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 Thailand for six years and I was like, yes, I'm finally close to my family. And every trip he had to kind of come and escort me. Um, he wouldn't allow me any alone time with my family when we were in Scotland. He was constantly like holding my hand. Or like like physically making sure that I was next to him, but by actually holding on to my arm or holding on to my hand, like what wouldn't the... let me out of his sight. Um, Did your family pick up? Anything? And my family, yeah. So it was my 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 sister, my sister's best friend actually, who who I've known since I was a wee girl. She said to my sister, she was <clears> like, um, "Kira, like what what's happened to Pops?" And my sister hadn't seen it. My sister was like, "What are you talking about?" And Felicity was like, "She is." like a shadow of her former self, mm. former self. Um, and then my sister was like oh my god she is and my sister told me this and I, I was like don't be ridiculous what are you talking about like I just didn't recognise it but then when I went back to Copenhagen and like more controlling things happened um, I got kind of frightened of him sometimes and I thought mm. oh no this is a problem and then it was like if I got a phone call from my mum I would have to like pretend to go out on a walk and take it like walk through a park and have to sit on like swings for hours and talk to my mum because if he knew I was talking to my mum he would make my life a living hell Honestly, it was just really scary I mean I'm glad that I can't and I'm I, I'm certain that I, I hope 100% of the people listening will not be able to even slightly relate or comprehend either. Oh, many of them will believe you, me. Oh, yeah. It just it goes under the radar. It happens to so many it's people. Like, why, why it's stop, so stigmatised. Why but... stop you talking to your mum? Like... Oh, it was honestly... I, I couldn't make a friendship with anyone. I couldn't have a bond with anyone. He was so jealous. And one of the last things he ever said to me was, I love you so much. I just want to put you in a cage. And, like, in my ideal world, I would just keep you... Because I love you so much, I want to keep you safe. I would put you in a cage and I would just take you out, like, whenever... I need you, but other than that, like I would oh, just, I would, fucking... you would just, I want to put you in like a beautiful bird cage and like lock you up. That's how much I love you. Totally and I was like, to me, that, that's the opposite of love. That's yeah. the opposite of love. Like, I mean, love is letting someone be free and be who they are. Yeah. It was just so oppressive. But before I even make this sort of point or, or share this sort of observation that I've got, I'll cite the example. So I, la I don't know if you saw the there was a young woman called Morel Sturrock young primary oh, teacher yeah. that was oh, murdered. I know this. She's uh -huh. murdered by her partner right now. I presented that story on, on the I breakfast show. Yeah. 
And I did say at the time, I was like, here's, I kind of said, here are the facts. The the body of the fiancé, who the police were looking to speak to, who they've established has, has bludgeoned her to death with a hammer. I know. And then I said the facts, and then I was like, well, here's now my opinion, which is how I present it, yeah. like, my opinion. I said, with these stories, it is always presented through the prism of the perpetrator, mm-hmm. or the, 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 the man when he's killed a woman. And it's always, oh, he was such a family man, he was a nice guy, or, yeah, he did that thing, but it's because he loved her so much. And I was like, watch, man, this is going to happen. Fucking Times newspaper yesterday called him a fucking golden retriever. I I accept, right, I accept that I don't know all the facts here, but the facts I do fucking know is he has smashed his fiancé's, pregnant pregnant fiancé's head in Mm -hmm. and fucking killed her. And then you're seeing the headline. It, it was it was compared to a golden retriever. Um, he was said, oh, he was kind and gentle, and we didn't see this coming. Obviously, fucking not, yeah. right? Obviously not. And it, I might sound as if I'm being a bit coarse, or maybe I'm. I'm oh, you're getting a bit. Oh, this is a, a touchy subject. Well, I'm afraid that's fucking not on. Yeah. And the, what that's I, classic traits, though. Yeah. They, they're all like that. They that's how they fly under <clears> the radar. Yeah, exactly, and. So that is the prime example. Because what I was going to say is this guy, and I don't want this to sound as if I'm excusing um, this Casper guy, because I absolutely am not, but just looking for the explanation. Like, he must have just been this damaged, insecure... His mum was extremely controlling. Right, Okay. Yeah. Like, extremely controlling. Doesn't excuse it at all, but it explains it away. Yeah. And he also had, like, had... Had he was so self conscious, he was like prematurely balding, and he was so self conscious about that, <laughs> and it, like it ate him up. Like not just normally subconscious, uh, self conscious, like more than that. Like it, it, it devoured. This him. is before the days of hair transplants, wasn't it? I know. I was like, man, get yourself to Turkey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> get yourself a wee holiday out there as absolutely. well. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, so. Want some more water, by the way? Yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah. He just, yeah, he was, I don't, but then I th- I also think that you can just get people that are bad. They, yeah. they are just are like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, I know that he had a similar relationship to the one he had with me, like with his previous, his relationship prior to me. And I, God only knows what it's like with the person that he's with now. And yeah. I just feel so, I just, yeah, I hope that she's okay. With, because... See what you were saying about um, he can't pick you up and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, in retrospect can mm-hmm. recognise seeing that in other people. Yeah. I remember thinking like people I worked with or, or whatever, like Such boyfriend was things, yeah. yeah. And I always thought that's a bit fucking weird. And the girl was always very demure and quiet. And defensive. They yeah. would have been defensive. Uh-huh. I was so defensive. If anyone tried to say anything about Casper, I would defend him. It was like they wouldn't have a word, wouldn't have a peep to say. Yeah. And I would, even at times remember being in work and being like, this last must fucking hate me because I'm just trying to get a wee bit of chat here. Yeah. And and there's nothing but then the boyfriend would turn up and it would be if off you go and now you're like was that a kind of pattern god even see if one of those things if i had a pound (laughs) but see the amount of times people have bumped into somebody or they've popped back up on social media or Mm -hmm. even they follow you and you're like the fuck like i've known this person for years how come and they're like my boyfriend made me delete you yeah in fact i was in fucking malone's and uh we ended up sitting at a table just near these girls and we're chatting one said she was like, my boyfriend made me block you on Twitter. And I was like, with all due respect, mm, red flag. I was like, I've never heard of you. I've <laughs> yeah. never seen you. I don't know who you are. Yeah. So why? And she was like, yeah, I know. 
It's insane. It's, yeah. Absolutely insane. And it all, it, that, you know, it, it'll start off with tiny, tiny things so you don't even notice it yourself. And then before you know it, it's like out of control. And there's like a set, <coughs> cer- cer- a set of circumstances that will make someone vulnerable. So f- for me in particular at that time, I was vulnerable because I'd moved to a country where I had no money. He was my sole you don't source speak of Danish. finance. I didn't speak the language. I wasn't familiar with the culture. I'd been plucked out of this life and as I said I had culture shock so I was so vulnerable I didn't have my family around me I had no support network he had me exactly where he wanted me and it was just perfect for him just as if it's a total forward planning as well with with all these wee small things this is the thing though like I don't think he was conscious of it because I he used to gaslight me as well and tell me that I was insane and that I needed therapy and that I was a really bad person that I started believing but when I kind of towards the end, just before I left and I got stronger, um, I put I turned it on its head and I just, we were having a fight and I said, you're the fucking psycho, you need therapy. You are so controlling and you've got issues. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, was irate. Like he was uh, like white with rage that I had dared to say something to him. But I could see also in his facial expression that he was completely completely taken aback, flabbergasted that I could possibly think that he was the one that had the problem. He was unaware of it. So he, you know, if you said to him today, you're a controlling person mm-hmm. and you, um, you know, that that's domestic abuse, he would not believe you. He'd be like, you're you're insane. He he'd, mm. he wouldn't understand it. He wouldn't Just be able to accept it. Completely not he thinks in any that he's role. normal, yeah. Did, his, did none of his family ever recognise? Like, no, because they're all the same. His brother was ju- just like that. His Fucking his mum, so he had a brother, mum and dad. His dad was lovely but weak. His mum was very controlling and his brother was a misogynist. Mm. And so they were all quite like that. And they were all journalists, like quite well-known journalists mm-hmm. in, in, in Copenhagen. Um, and just quite, yeah. What a, what a fucked up bunch because if your mum is the she's the matriarch and like your mum's in charge and she's in control how the fuck do you then go on to become a pure misogynistic weirdo unless you absolutely fucking resent her for the way she did kind of control you I know what a man it's so weird pure honestly a psychologist dream in it oh 100% oh I still have like deep chats like I love dissecting all talking about it 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 was just the craziest time and I almost married him like he we were engaged and everything thank god that that didn't happen when did the engagement come about he proposed to me he took me on a trip to Bali again love bombing and proposed to oh, me right. on the Gilly Islands um, yeah. and he proposed to me with a plastic ring that he'd bought at one of these kind of shacks on the island and I was like haha you know that's a nice like interim ring you obviously didn't want to bring the actual ring on holiday in case it got lost or stolen or something no no that was the ring I swear to god it looked like a ring pool from a, a Christmas cracker no way. and it was giant it was 10 sizes too large it had like fake metal on it that i i wore, wore it into the sea it rusted and gave me like an infected like gangrenous <laughs> finger i've still got it to this day and i still look at it and go say to myself this is what he thought i was worth i can show it to you yeah. it, it, it's i'll take a picture of it and send it to you. it's hell. rusted it's plastic it's, it must have cost him like 50 pence do you think it was an, op- that I was worth that. an opportunistic purchase and like seize the moment Carpy that no, DM. it was all planned. He had booked that holiday to oh. propose to me. And when I said, I, I think I deserve at least a ring that doesn't rust, oh, um, bare minimum. He, he like said, you are, I thought that you'd come from Thailand and you weren't a materialistic person. How dare you? You're not the person I know. You, this is so disappointing. I didn't want you a fucking infection, me. mate. Oh my God, honestly. Like, 
yeah, thank God I didn't marry him. It was thank horrendous. Christ. What were some of the some of the bigger things that made you really go, right, this is the situation that I'm in? Because at first, you know, it's insidious and mm. it's sort of, is this happening? And then yeah. all of a sudden there must be a... He, well, accusing me of shagging that girl that I went for coffee with, accusing me of of, of flirting with his best friend when we were out at a dinner one time. He tried to push me off a balcony. We lived in, like, little apartment block, like, two or three floors up in Copenhagen, and he locked me out into the balcony, like, in winter once, and I was absolutely frozen, and he left me there for ages. And then one time we were having a fight, and he almost pushed me over it. That was quite scary. Um, <clears throat> I bet that's an understatement. Yeah. And just, like, yeah, just... Just like my overwhelming feeling of unhappiness that I wasn't really sure where it was coming from. And then like I, I had like a couple of times where I was back home and I managed to like steal some moments with my mum. Basically, predominantly my mum. She she took me aside and she said, I want you to speak to my friend. And and she'd kind of arranged almost like this intervention and her friend was a therapist and he said to me, you know, what he's doing is this is what it's called. It's gaslighting. And it was around about the time, I think I told you this, that um just like when I came home, which I can tell you about how I escaped. But when I came home, there was like a storyline in The Archers, that radio programme. Yes, yeah. About um, coercive control. Mm -hmm. And it had just been made like illegal and had just been recognised as domestic abuse. And he said, this is what's going on to you. And I kind of read up about it and listened to it. And, and I was like, oh my God. And suddenly just like the term coercive control everything yeah. that was in that, that had, is what I had been experiencing. And because at that time it, it wasn't a recognised thing, that's why I didn't, you know, if someone was beating me up, I'd be like, well, yeah, I'm a victim of domestic abuse. But yeah. because it was insidious and no one can see how someone's hurting you, I had no idea. No, I mean, it's now, if, if anybody isn't aware, there might be somebody that's listening thinking, oh, my God, this is my life being described. Oh. It's, it's now um, enforceable under Scottish law, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I'm sure there was a bill brought in. Actually, let's just find it because you know it's probably worth sharing that. Yeah, um, we'll just get this picture of Dean Gaffney off my screen at Ocean <laughs> Beach. Coercive control. Here we go. Coercive control, Scotland. Um, oh, I think needs to load. So, uh, uh, it's it's something that is just protected anyway. It's like it's taken seriously. It's not in the. It's like recognised as a crime now. Yeah, yeah, it's not the bygone days. Is coercive control a criminal offence in Scotland? It is a criminal offence to use coercive control. Some examples of this behaviour can be keeping you away from friends and family, mm. monitoring your movements when you're out and about or on your phone. Mm -hmm. People might just think, oh, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, just a wee it's bit... It's for safety. Oh, yeah, or, or they're just a wee bit possessive or jealous. Like, no, no it's against flag. the fucking law. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't, don't take it. What is classed as coercive control in Scotland? Uh, an act, a pattern or, of acts of assault, threats, humiliation. Uh, Shaming. And, yeah, intimidation. And it's used to harm, punish or frighten the victim. Mm -hmm. And basically into doing what you want to do. Yeah. Um, absolutely not on. No, not on. I mean, and there's and, but it could But it could be so, so many like other things out with that that are smaller, yeah. like encouraging you to wear a certain type of clothing that you wouldn't usually wear so that it kind of makes you look more dowdy because they don't want you to look yeah. sexy or attractive or like telling you not to wear makeup or you know, you look so beautiful naturally you don't need makeup you know they'll spin it so it sounds yeah. like it's out of love but it's not so yeah. it's all those little subtle things that they're the ones that you need to look out for God do you know what you were saying as well about the balcony thing mm. 
There's another sliding doors moment. What happens if you fall, you die, and then it's, oh, she jumped, or... I know, yeah. It, there could be anything, and you, these things happen all the time. I don't know what the statistics are. Um, I'll maybe try and get something later, but, you know, women, women die at the hands of their partners. No, totally, and I do think... Each like, year. our relationship was so volatile because I, thank God, I eventually kind of came to out of the trance it's almost like being in a trance you don't know that it's happening and then I kind of I don't know how but I just I managed to come out of it um but yeah I was just very fortunate mm. I guess yeah the so you you get to the point then really like, I need to get out of here or did did you reach that point of clarity or was it a yes. gradual awakening no no, it was a, it was like it was kind of like when my mum took me aside and, and said you're you're being abused and he's he's an abuser. Such a shame because she's having to then essentially send you back. Yeah, she did. She sent me back, but she sent me back with like tools and the strength and the confidence. And that's when I I had that argument with him and I said, No, you're the one that needs to go to therapy. You're a fucking psycho. And I'd never spoken to him like that before, and he was shocked out of his wits. In fact, I wish I could. I wish it was filmed and I could watch it back because it would give me so much pleasure just to see him, all his big walls and his big bravado and all that just being shot down. Big shape back. I suddenly had just taken the power back. It was yeah. just, a, that's all it is, it's a power struggle and I'd taken my power back. Um, so it's kind of in that moment I said, listen, we can try and make it work. And we, I think we tried another month. But I, after a month, I was like, this is not, I'm not happy and I want to, to go home. And I secretly, with the help of my mum, because he had like all my bank i didn't have a bank or anything like that honestly christ like that sounds like something 50 years ago yeah it was awful my mum booked me a flight he used to go out to like rap parties for like documentaries that he made and he was going out to a rap party one evening and i was pretending to be like have an early night in bed and i was lying in bed with my pajamas on but underneath my pajamas i had like actual clothes on and he used to do this horrible thing where he would leave the house um first of all he would kind of like double lock me in and I didn't have a double lock key. I just Happens had a, a, a single fire. lock key. Yeah, and he was like, oh, sorry, I'm just so used to living on my own. I, I forgot. And I'd be like, I, I've been with you for two years now. So he'd either lock me in so that I couldn't leave the house and, yeah, if there was a fire, scuppered. Or he would leave the house, not double lock the door, but wait outside the door for 10 minutes. And then after 10 minutes, he would kind of, like, go, rah, and, like, jump back into That's the flat just to, to kind of catch me, like, evil. unaware. And, just, and it was control. It was, like, so that I would be walking on eggshells and like always like looking over my shoulder because I never knew when he was going to like jump jump in the house hope, and go, honestly hope he fucking dies so, <laughs> so anyway he was going out to a party and I waited the 10 minutes to see if he would come back in uh, and he did he went and came back in and then I heard him going down the stairs and I kind of lay there frozen for like half an hour because I was so petrified that he might come back and then whipped off my clothes I had like a little pack of stuff under the bed that I'd hidden which had my passport in it and I don't know enough money to get like the the train to the to the airport. Stayed in the airport that night and got the the flight the next morning. And like I'd had like a I'd given me a phone like a, a really shitty phone that he could call me on. And I swear to God I've never had that many missed calls. It was something like five hundred and thirty seven missed calls Jesus. when he realised when he got back and I wasn't there. And I was absolutely terrified oh, in the airport that he would come and get me. And then I remember being on the plane and flying home and just being in disbelief that I had broken free of him. But yeah. I left all my stuff there, all my belongings, like everything, 
just had to leave it. That's and I've never terrible. spoken to him ever again. <laughs> Did he ever try and email you yeah, or text? He, 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 just a, like a few months ago, You're... he sent me a message saying, oh, hi, Pops, I saw your dad finally completed all the Monroes. Tell him I was asking for him. Oh, fuck off, and I you was like, fucking Get prick. Yeah, and he's married now with kids, but he still writes to me. So there's definitely still a, an element of... I mean, I don't follow him, yeah. but he's obviously still following me somehow and can see what I'm up to yeah. and, and has actually reached out to me to, to, to make contact. What, it's so weird. What a weirdo. It's so weird, yeah. You've now got... We spoke about this, didn't you? You've got to feel sympathy for his partner Oh, uh, Yeah, I feel deep, deep sympathy. And, mm. yeah, if she ever listens to this, please, and you're in that situation, like, you can reach out and contact me and I will help you because... Mm. And anyone that's listening to this and that can identify with any of these things, I would be more than happy to to help anyone. But yeah, it makes me deeply sad that he ever went out and ended up with someone else. Mm-hmm. I think it's that's really nice horrific. to say that you that you would be happy to speak to people. There, there are other places that people can call. You've got Scottish Women's Aid. Um, mm-hmm. Just a quick Google. You've got Citizens Advice. Uh, safer Scotland um, which can direct you to where to get support there's trained helpline workers available 24-7 anybody can help and by the way this exists for men as well Mm -hmm. not going to do the whole thing yeah what about (laughs) guys you're like yes (laughs) happens yeah on a smaller smaller scale don't want anybody trying to create this false dichotomy yeah all people yeah but I mean it does happen um there may be some people that have that listen going, oh, for fuck's sake, I've done that and not realised as well. Check yourself in. Yeah, bloody check yourself, you dick. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let that, listen, you've got one freebie, right? We'll let it slide. But anymore, you're getting your head knocked in. Yeah. When you were on the plane then, did you just kind of go, wow, like a bit exhale? And... I can't, that, that, oh, I think I was so traumatised. It's actually kind of a blur. I don't actually remember. I, yeah. And I don't know what happened. I don't know who picked me up at the airport. I don't know how, I, I can't remember. I've honestly like blocked it out. But like one thing that did happen as a result of being controlled for so long is that when I came back to Scotland and I suddenly was not being controlled, mm. but my my... I was kind of used to being controlled, so I started controlling myself, and I actually developed like a mild eating disorder. God. Yeah, but and and when I look back, I know now that that was a direct uh, result of, mm. of, from being kind of in such a controlled environment and then not knowing how to handle the freedom. Mm-hmm. So I started controlling what I was eating and how I was like, exercising, and that was a kind of backlash. God. Yeah. Tra- just trauma and in a multi-layered yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And got f- f- special recognition to your mum as well for the way she's handled she's that. She's an oracle of wisdom and strength. She's She's been through a, a lot in her life and she's the smartest yeah. person I know. And she's, yeah, she sounds she's fantastic. She's set up, me and my siblings up with the tools to... Mm to go through life yeah massive shout out to her <laughs> yeah well done to her go um, Dory her name's Dorothy and we call her Big Dozer or Big Dory and she hates it so I'm going to make her listen to this and she'll be furious Dorothy I would never do that to you <laughs> Big Dozer I would never do that to you um, so God I mean this is a personal question you don't have to answer oh. it but did you feel you had to undergo therapy or anything uh, yeah I tried CBT for the eating disorder and it didn't work mm. Um and actually this like this is how it stopped the day i met my husband i i never purged ever again oh wow yeah. what's what's purged 
Um, so when you've got bulimia, you like eat lots and lots of food and then you make yourself sick oh, and that's called right, purging. Okay. And um, yeah, so I... And, and, that, and that's because I found happiness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like this happen because you're unhappy for some reason yeah. or there's something not quite right. There's a disconnect. And like when I met him and it sounds so cheesy, but it all came together and my world was made right. And I've that he hate. made me feel so loved and so confident and so everything. I didn't need to do that to myself anymore. That's what it should be. Yeah. Should I admit that I felt myself getting a wee bit emotional when you saying that? <laughs> Did you? Or should I keep that to myself? Did I fuck? Um, Christopher no. Johns, he's the one. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Anyone... He's just such a good person. Anyone Sound that spends be. an hour in his presence will just become a better person by proxy because he's so brilliant. <laughs> what a hero. I love people like yeah, that. Yes. If he's able to do that. Um, uh, when when then did you open the... You had a very popular vegan cafe. In fact, mm -hmm. I mentioned to an advertiser that I was speaking to you and the first thing he said was, does she not have that really great vegan cafe? Oh. Um, <laughs> who, who are you speaking to? I can't oh, be. Can't. I'll tell you when we're off, but I can't be divulging anybody's <laughs> details. You, you, you probably know who he is. I think maybe. You, anyway, um, yeah. So raunchy. That just makes me feel so proud when I hear that because I, it's still in my mind. I'm like, it's just a wee tiny cafe. What? <laughs> but actually, it was pretty well known. Um, and I have to just learn to take the credit for that. Um, I worked for like two, three years in Scotland when I came back from Copenhagen, and I got like. I'm a grafter, so I got, like, four jobs. I worked in a medical centre. I was a babysitter, and I started up, like, in a cleaning company. Right. Um, Entrepreneurial, then? Yeah. Um, and I was cleaning all these, like, rich West End ladies' houses, like, rich West End ladies in Glasgow, and cleaning all their houses, and just saving, 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 saving. And then, I mean, I fell into raunchy. That's maybe a sliding doors moment. I fell into it. I had to, like, make a cake for my... Um, stepmom one day for her birthday and I wanted to make it like gluten-free and kind of healthier and I'm a terrible baker and um, I found a, a recipe for a raw cake which was a cake that didn't require baking so oh, I was right. like excellent that'll do <laughs> that'll do the job um, and I made it and I put a picture of it on Facebook and then people started like writing to me and saying oh my god is that vegan and gluten-free and um, uh, you know refined sugar-free and it ticks all these boxes and it's healthy and it was at this time where Instagram had blown up yeah. with like the green smoothies and everyone was taking pictures of the food and <laughs> a lot of like um a lot of eating disorders actually were kind of born from that era like oh, orthorexia right. which is like a a new kind of eating disorder that developed which is a, an obsession with healthy eating clean eating green eating all those terms which is a lot of crap yeah. um but I just happened to kind of start raunchy at that time where everyone was very interested in those kind of health foods and mm. those buzzwords, um, which I very much used heavily in my marketing. And uh, yeah, I started as a cake wholesaler. So I supplied like 25 different restaurants and cafes and hotels across wow. Scotland. And then, um, and then, yeah, through lockdown, it kind of naturally became like a cafe. And I ran it as a cafe and I had my first shop in Mary Hill and then my second shop was in Deniston um, and it was going great guns, but I got an, a new job. It, it just became a lot and it was like, had like a bit of a uh, burnout moment yeah. at the beginning of last year and I was standing in like full chef whites. I hadn't had a shower in like seven days. My hands were covered in cuts and burns from chefing. I was cleaning the toilets at four in the morning doing the social media posts, doing like all the accounting stuff. Like it was just too much. That's I was working much. seven days a week, literally like 16 hour shifts. 
And I was like, you know, you start a business to make money, to be happy and have a good life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I couldn't be further from being happy right now. I was, I was getting married to Christopher in six months and I was like, I, I just don't see him anymore. And I didn't see my friends. My friends all stopped messaging me to ask me to go out and do things uh. because the answer was always no. So I was like, I'm losing like people in my life because yeah. of this. I'm not seeing my family and yeah. It was almost like a controlling relationship, but a business. (laughs) Um, And I was just saying all this to my my best friend who at the time worked for Soho House. Um, And my... My favourite place is in the world. favourite place on planet Earth. Um, And this person was like, well, listen, there's a a job, you know, becoming available. You will have to apply for it properly. But, you know, there is one. And I didn't think that you'd ever be interested in it because... Um, because you've got raunchy, but it's going to be based in Scotland, and and you would, you know, I think you'd be a great candidate. So I did the interviews, and I ended Sliding up getting doors. it. So and that that's why I've now closed you, raunchy because you I beat a lot of people to get that as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So yeah, and you, I feel quite proud of myself. Yeah, you should. You yeah. absolutely should. I mean, it's a prestigious organisation. It was also the first interview I've ever done in my life. Seriously, I, yeah. I, I mean, because I've I've never yeah, I've never had a real job, I. so. I'm see at job interviews. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking brilliant because <laughs> I can talk a good game, can char- charm anybody. It's when you actually get into the job that I'm like, ah, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Imposter like, syndrome. Ah, I can't really be asked. I mean, like, we jobs, like, even call centre jobs or job when I work for, like, companies and stuff. Yeah. I, I, I'd roll in and I, I had loads of experience probably because I was constantly, like, patching jobs and getting another one. Yeah, and, yeah. But, so you must have gone in. So I, I've got an, a, an understanding of how to play that game, but you must have just went in and just completely been yourself and they went, yes, this is exactly what we're after. Yeah, that's why I love so wow so much because they kind of took a chance on me like yeah. i i've never been to university i didn't get that good grades in high school and they weren't interested in any of that and yeah. like i just think there's so many jobs although people are saying oh you, you need um university experience less and less these days i'm like if people say that that's not actually the case mm-hmm. but so wow, they were so cool and they were genuinely just like just talk to us in the interview just be yourself just talk to us and they were just looking for you know, a, a friendly person that can galvanise yeah. the troops in Scotland and network and just, you know, be I, fun. And I feel it's kind of the embodiment of the whole, uh, why it was set up, wasn't it? So if anybody that's unaware, Soho House is a, a collection of private members clubs and they are out of this fucking world. Like, Vision. oh my God, the coolest <laughs> place. I mean, you've got your main ones like on Strand 180, you've got the White City House, um, Shoreditch and stuff, and it's you're talking bars, clubs, events rooftop pools i remember looking through the events that were on and i was like anybody could get tickets for this yeah. janet jackson was throwing a party at shoreditch house <laughs> yeah. and the if you yeah, if you were in early enough you get it the barcelona one little beach house barcelona i'll be going there oh yeah um There's but then so you've got them things. in new york miami turkey istanbul mexico yeah. city rising uh, to bangkok yeah. that's what we say yeah, everywhere all over the world everywhere. from bangkok so good. And you see some cool people. You're not meant to say, but I miss somebody in the gym. Am I allowed to say who I missed in the gym? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying it. You're saying I'll it. I'll say so it. You say it. So I missed... I, yeah, you're not supposed to. <laughs> I mean, I saw Tim Lovejoy. I was like, no, he missed Tim Lovejoy. <laughs> but I missed Margot Robbie at oh, White City House by like, God, like a, a hair's breadth, I think. Oh, um, but absolutely it's, devastating. Yeah, it's mental some of the faces you see kicking about. No, Barbie. Everybody. Real life Barbie. Yeah, I, exa- <laughs> so she is. She's Barbie. So she yeah. is. I'm going to be, I'm going to be White City on Thursday. I'll be working for there. I can't wait. Oh, so, so jealous. Yeah, Love best London. place ever. So, man, what a, what a roller coaster. See, mm-hmm. 
at the start, the person, right, like you listening, didn't I say that that life could be a film? And I was right. <laughs> if there's any film makers or directors out there yes. that are interested, get, it get made. in touch. I want, I want cast as if you mostly fire breather. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go the six foot five Danish uh, guy, unfortunately, because I'm not because I'm not balding. That's the only reason. <laughs> we'll cover you in transfer tattoos and teach you how to do the poi. You fine? You'll yeah, be I'll, be, I'll be fine. <laughs> no, it's been this has been great. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much for having me. I've no, lost this. Thank you and for I, coming. I, I was saying to Sean before we started this, I was so nervous, and when I get nervous, I get prickly armpits. And <laughs> I was so nervous before this, but you've made me feel so at ease. Good. So thank you very much for having me. It's no, been such a pleasure. The pleasure has been absolutely <laughs> all mine. Um, this with this episode to you listening, obviously with some of the subject matter. If you think somebody could benefit from listening to it then yep. feel free to share it. If you want to leave a five star review as well, I'm not going to stop you. Just battering. You, you... Sean, I'm going to do it right now. Oh, yes. Right, they all count, they all add We're up. doing it live as we speak. Here we go, we're getting the five right. stars. Uh... Um, no, it's been great. And um, yeah, so I can't thank you enough for, for coming in. Yeah, well, I can't thank you enough for having me. Thank you very much. Lo- always lovely to see your oh, face. We've got the, uh, the crackling, that's because... Oh. <gasps> That's Sorry. all right, but that was that's that was the five star <laughs> review live. That was me doing five star review. That was it live. No, it's been great, and thank you for listening as always. And we'll be back same time next week. I'll try with another episode of Blethered. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>